Welcome, glad to have you with us. Chuck Basie, former state representative here in Missouri, uh, is on board with us. So is Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. But wait, we got Carson, we got Crafts, we got firearms uh, right here in the studio. So I'm going to start off with the Springfield uh, 9mm. Uh, Springfield uh, makes a great firearm. Give me some details about this. So this is their new Prodigy. Um, these have been kind of the hot gun of the season. Um, it is their um, STI clone. So it's a it's a two-part grip frame. It's a plastic grip and then a steel um, lower, uh, or well, I guess the, the, the main part of the frame that is actually the gun is steel. And then the plastic grip frame attaches to that. So this is a double stack 1911. And uh, what, what is this guy? Uh, 18 rounds, 17 rounds. So 17 round magazines in a nine millimeter. This is the uh, four and a quarter inch version. They make a five inch version. This one comes packaged with uh, Springfield's uh, hex dragonfly red dot optic. And it's got this cool mounting system. So two screws, the uh, existing rear sight comes off and it's got another plate with a rear sight that attaches to the red dot, and that all bolts on um, as one unit to replace the existing rear sight. Um, but this is also cut to take a um, Trigicon RMR-C directly to the slide, so you can mount it lower and um, and have a true co-witness with the uh, fiber optic sight, which is kind of cool. Um, solid built gun, everything's well machined, um, bull barrel, uh, trigger on its average for a 1911, um, um, and average average on a 1911 is you know pretty darn good. Um, fiber optic front sight, super comfortable. They've they've really slimmed this up. It's got a nice notch cut out for your uh, middle finger, so you get a good good wraparound and purchase on that. Um, just a just a well designed 2011 clone. And um, it's it's been super popular. There, there's been people complaining about uh, the magazines not working so good. Um, I I've not directly seen any problems with them, but um, most people say after about 100 200 round break in, any problems they did have uh, vanished. Um, so no remedial action with Springfield Armory has been necessary. So I think maybe the guns are coming out of the factory a little tight, um, which is you know good for accuracy and good for longevity. But uh, you may you may need to you know, give it, a, give it a give it a couple of days in the range uh, b- before you um, take any problems to heart. That but, is neat. Yeah, that is neat. Super it's super got cool. a rail. Yeah, it's Second. got a rail. Um, I don't know if the grip frame is compatible with other 2011 grip frames, but if it is, that would be pretty cool because there's a lot of cool options for 2011 grip frames through you know STI, SVI, uh, Pantera, and a few other. Um, uh, 2011 clone manufacturers. How many of these do you have in stock? Uh, just have the one, uh, and like I said, this is the four and a quarter inch version with the Dragonfly sight uh, for 1578. I'm am t- liking this. This is nice. Yeah, it's 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 been a hard gun to get. Um, I've been after a five inch myself, but uh, there just hasn't been any available. And this is only the second one we've gotten since they've been released. All right, so if you're interested in this, you better call uh, uh, down at Graphs and uh, make your reservation because uh, they're hard to get and uh, 
in high demand. And I love that fiber optic front sight. Man, yeah, it's, it's nice, nice and bright, and comes right up. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Neat. Uh, by the way, on the uh, rifle racks in trucks, Nick sent me a message. He said, I've got a rack that mounts to the ceiling of my truck. Works very well, and most people don't even notice it until they get in. Uh, so that uh, that can be handy. Yeah, so. if you've got a Chevy, a Dodge, or a Ford, that's a great option. Unfortunately, they don't fit my vehicle. <laughs> well, uh, this uh, this Springfield will, uh, will fit anybody's vehicle. That is Indeed. really neat firearm uh but wait wait there's more uh you got another nine millimeter here can it yeah and this one impresses me as well so i have like one of the older you know um you know second or third generation canics and it's a good gun i like it a lot um this medi sfx pro blows that thing out of the water uh I, I don't know how one gun that's so similar can be so different. Um, this thing just amazes me. The, the trigger on it and the reset are probably the best um, Walther clone trigger I've ever, I've ever touched. Uh, it, it's just insane. Um, so the Medi SFX Pro is meant to be kind of a tactical handgun. Um, it's it's got a wide wide trigger on it, which I think helps with that felt trigger pull. Uh, but this one does, has a fully chrome barrel, um, so you'll get tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of rounds out of this barrel. And it's threaded, so for suppressor use. And you know, suppressor guns always run a little dirtier, so that chrome lining is going to make it easier to clean over the life of the gun. Um, and this one's uh, got a long long slide on it. So you get a little little extra velocity, or um, or so with hollow point stuff, even with a, a suppressor. Um, Eighteen round magazine. Yeah. It's optic cut. Uh, it's got a magwell on it. Um, it. It's I you you really have to just come in and feel the trigger on this. Um, the slide release is ambidextrous, which is great. Um, you've got options for the mag catch. You can I think there's a few little uh, op optional buttons you can put on that. Uh, the case is impressive. It comes with a holster that you can change from inside the pant to uh, a, a belt holster. Um, three different back straps. Um, change uh, a, a couple armorer's tools. It's just a good kit. And what impresses me most, it's it's six hundred and twenty bucks. Yeah, look at that price. Um, I I Canic is Century Arms and Canic have just knocked it out of the park with these guns. Um, they they seem to make. Every generational or every modified version of the gun, better and better. Um, I mean, and, you know, there's a lot of Turkish guns that I wouldn't glance twice at, but um, I would not be surprised if, you know, there are some departments that don't start carrying guns like this um, just because of their, their cost. And, you know, well, I mean, they, they based it on a good gun, the Walther P99, so the, the engineering was done by a German company, and all they've done is clone it, but they've done a spectacular job of cloning it. And I, I, it's probably a pretty safe bet to say that Canik's probably sold more of these guns than Walther has. Very lightweight. Yeah, extremely lightweight, especially with that long slide. They're, they've got a few cuts on the slide uh, to kind of lighten it up, so it probably gets it down closer to what um, one of the 4-inch guns would be. But I... I 
every time I get a new Canik in my hands, I'm just impressed with what they're able to do at the price point they're doing it. I've never really shot with a flat trigger before, but I've noticed several guns you've brought in now have come with a flat flat face trigger, and it feels good. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, there's we did it. We had a discussion last week about this uh, that some triggers are, are you know flat, and some have that uh, the curve to it. Um, I just think it's what you get used to. Yeah, well, and it it comes from the competition side of things. You know, guys that are competing are always looking for an edge. So if there's if there's an idea they get in their head, they're going to try it, and if it works, you know, everyone else wants well. That guy's beating me, and he's got this, and I don't have that, so that's what I'm getting next. Um, so it really drives innovation, and and you'll see simple things like this filter out from the competitive side of the market into production guns. I thought last week Scott said, maybe Scott said something about the flat trigger facilitates the more uniform, you know, contact with the trigger, more uniform finger placement. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's essentially said, what. Yeah, but I. I I think if you're used to the curved trigger, I mean, once you put your finger on the trigger, you know, you know where on the you know on the pad you're going to touch. Sure. Um, I don't know if it makes that that much difference, but you know what? Shoot, uh, go rent one and shoot one, or find a friend that's got one and see if it makes a difference for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't I, have a preference between a flat or a curved trigger, but um, so the trigger on this is wide. Um, I mean, this is a lot wider. I'd say it's probably twice as wide as most handgun triggers and that that width helps disperse the pressure on your finger and I think it I think it improves the feel and increases your control over the trigger so wide triggers I'm definitely for Cur curved or flat is not a big issue to me but you can't go wrong for not 620 bucks 620 dollars yeah. uh, this is a great nine millimeter deal uh, and I'm guessing you can uh, go down to, to graphs and pick those up um, relatively easily. Yeah, there's some other canics there at the shop. There's another one. Uh, I forget which model that was because uh, I didn't stop and play with it because I was playing with this one. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, there's a couple other canics at the shop, uh, but I'll have this one back on Monday. Um, I, I kind of wish I was taking them up there today because today's the perfect day to get out of Columbia. Um, with all the graduation ceremonies and the traffic at all the local restaurants, um, Mexico would be a good place to, to spend a couple hours and look at some guns and grab a meal without having to wait two hours for a table. Yeah, I, I understand. All right, listen, we're up against the clock. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, but I have a weakness for this rifle. Uh, I, I have for years. And, uh, wow, look at that price. I'll tell you what this is from Graphs next on Gary on Gun. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Chuck Basie on board, state representative, former state representative. We got uh, Dale Roberts, uh, MoGunLaw.com, and of course, Garson is in from Graphs. I've got a weakness for lever action rifles. I'm not sure if it's uh, because of my father's influence, but uh, I just love lever action rifles. They're just neat. They're Certainly not as efficient as an AR or an AK or a whole host of others, but they are just really neat. And you've got one here. Uh, this is what, 44 mag? This is a 44 mag. Uh, and it, for just 775 bucks? Are you yeah, serious? Look at the wood on this. Yeah, it's uh, real hardwood, so it's not, you know, some cheap wood that they've painted or dyed to look like 
better wood. It, it's real hardwood, um, but it's got all brass accents on the lever, the trigger, the hammer, and the barrel bands, which gives it a super. Oh, and the and the butt plate. So super classy look. Um, uh, it, so this is a, a Rossi R92, uh, so Winchester 92 clone. Um, great little gun. Uh, I I have a soft spot for these because I'm left-handed, and um, for every birthday that I had, um, I, I couldn't have bolt guns, so I got lever guns. <laughs> so I have a lot of lever guns, and yeah, I, I too have a softness, soft place in my heart for lever guns, although I'm not a fan of the... Uh, the modern tacticalized versions of the lever gun, I, I I like them in their their true to form function and finish, and this is a, an ex- exemplary example of that um, at a at a darn good price. Um, I don't know why lever guns were so hard to get during COVID. Um, I know I know Marlin was out of business. They're now owned by Ruger and back in production, so those are becoming more readily available. Um, but it, it seems like everybody just could not get out um, lever guns for the last couple of years. So these are these are finally starting to break free and, and come back into the market. Um, so if you're if you're wanting to build a cowboy gun or uh, just wanting a decent, you know, little little pack rifle to go hunting with, they're hard to beat and you know the price is right, the reliability is great. Um, and and in forty four mag and three fifty seven magnum, your ammo selection on these is exemplary as well. There, there's you're going to be able to find ammo to have fun with and to hunt or defend yourself at reasonable prices in, in decent availability. They're just a fun rifle to shoot. I, I really enjoy shooting uh, lever-action rifles. Maybe it was because of the rifleman, uh, something that uh, Dale probably remembers. Absolutely. I'm shaking my head yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the rifleman uh, uh, carried a lever-action rifle. Uh, but I do love them. Uh, and this one is really, really affordable. Seven seventy four ninety nine. That's seven hundred seventy five bucks. You can't go wrong if you want to go out and have fun. Uh, and uh, the availability of the ammo, you you can't beat that either. It's just a classic American gun. Oh. Yeah. And this one's very well appointed. Oh, this one's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I'm drooling over this. Oh, oh yeah. It's it's fancy. I likes it. <laughs> I likes it. Well, you know, it's curious. You're, we're both left-handed. Uh, we both uh, love lever-action lever rifles and uh, 1911s. I, I'm starting to wonder if uh, you're not a brother from another mother. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, all right. We, uh, we got Dr. John Lott coming on in a couple of minutes, red flag laws. Uh, everybody seems to think, at least uh, at the legislative end in blue states, that this is a good idea. I've got some problems with them. I, I think... Uh, they're going to be very difficult to work so that uh, you're not taking away people's rights. But it's also causing another problem unexpectedly. And we'll tell you what that is with Dr. John Lott when he gets on the program in just a few minutes. Uh, But looking out at getting a really powerful handgun, the most powerful handguns that you can still buy, and this is based on pounds per square inch of pressure, generated within the handgun. That's that's the metric that's used uh, to uh, to decide uh, which handguns are the most uh, most powerful. Uh, so uh, we've got a, a, a quick list here uh, of those firearms that uh, that you can get. 
Uh, let me start with Garson before I go into this, because uh, nobody handles guns more often uh, than you do. Uh, what do you think is, uh, in your mind, the most powerful handgun uh, that you would like to have? That I would like to have? <laughs> um, I, I'm fine with my 7.5 PSD, um, or the 7.5 FK Bruneau round, but um, I, I'm pretty sure that the Smith & Wesson 500 Magnum still holds the crown of the most powerful handgun cartridge. Uh, Smith & Wesson Model 460 uh, earns the title uh, in the competition. Uh, if we're looking at pounds per square inch produced within the weapon itself, the undisputed champ Smith & Wesson Model 460. Uh, it is uh, more than happy uh, uh, to, uh, to really crank it out. According to their own site, <clears throat> it has the highest muzzle velocity, about 2,000 feet per second, of any revolver on the planet. When you squeeze the trigger of a Model 460, you're looking at internal pressures of approximately 65,000 PSI. Woo! Um, typically, you'd be looking at 25,000 PSI for most Magnum revolvers. Uh, but wait, uh, there's, uh, there's more. Uh, what about the Smith & Wesson Model 500? Uh, well, the Magnum uh, appears to have the, uh, have the juice on this one. The gun can handle anything from 275 to 440 grain loans, loads. Uh, the first 275 grade, uh, grain load uh, ever created for this weapon had 1,700 foot-pounds of muzzle energy and 1,665 uh, feet per second muzzle velocity. The 440 grain load had uh, 2,850 foot-pounds and uh, 1,625 feet per second muzzle velocity. Uh, so there are some uh, uh, some other ones out there, like the Triple Action Thunder. I've never even heard of this. Uh, the only guy here that probably would would be Garson. Have you heard of it, the Triple Action Thunder? I have not heard of that. Uh, um, it's kind of a novelty gun created by a company that doesn't exist anymore. It was released at the SHOT Show in 2004. It's a single-shot space gun. Um it fires a 50 BMG round. Oh, all right. I've seen pictures of that. No, thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it looks looks like a ray gun. It's really bizarre. Um, all right, so let me go. Uh, Chuck, do you care about that? I mean, is that, you know, foot pounds per second something you think about? Not really. I, I, I don't really think it would be practical for my purposes. You know, yeah, but uh, it'd be fun, fun to shoot, uh, no doubt. But uh, yeah. yeah, I you know I look at some of these like the Desert Eagle and all these other you know, and I think, well, that'd be fun to shoot, but uh, unless I'm out where I might be attacked by a bear, I, I just don't. I don't think it's all that important. Yeah, yeah. Just, and, and Ruger makes a pretty cool gun for that. They they've got the Red Hawk Alaskan, which is a little snub nose 480 Ruger in that in that same kind of class of. Uh, Big bore revolvers. That's got to right. have some felt recoil. Yes. I'll bet. All right, listen, we're up against the clock. Quick break. Uh, break. Uh, and then uh, Dr. John Lott, Red Flag Laws, Hungarian Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Garson is in from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. We also have uh, former state representative. Uh, <laughs> I know it's Chuck Basie. I just had a <laughs> Biden moment. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Dale Roberts is in uh, MoGunLaw.com. 
Uh, I'm pleased to tell you that uh, we have uh, at the table with us also Dr. John Lott. Uh, he has written a piece at his website, crimeresearch.org, which is kind of the Bible for anybody who wants to know the truth about firearms and laws. Uh, the number of red flag, uh, red flag cases filed in New York has increased over the last year. And uh, even law enforcement seems somewhat overwhelmed uh, by what's going on. John, welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with us. How much of an increase are they seeing in New York? Oh, in the last year, they've seen uh, over a 1,000% increase. It's increased tenfold uh, in terms of the number of red flag uh, cases that they're bringing. Uh, and uh, as you say, the police there are just overwhelmed. They have, you know, they don't have space to store all the guns that they're seizing from people. Uh, and they're spending so much time going around uh, seizing people's guns that they aren't having time. The police unions are complaining uh, that they're not having time to go after other types of crimes like murder, rape, robbery, aggravated assaults. <laughs> so when your wife is calling for the police because she's being assaulted, they're at some guy's house uh, seizing his firearms inventory. Doesn't, it doesn't seem to make like a, a lot of sense to me. Uh, well, the, go ahead. Well, a, a year ago, uh, uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor there, signed an executive order basically ordering the police whenever they think that, you know, they have a suspicion that somebody may be a danger to themselves or others, they should just immediately seize the person's guns that are there. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, it sounds like a lot of the police think that the way this is being operationalized makes very little sense, uh, or the police unions wouldn't be complaining about it the way they are. By the way, I front sold that you are going to be on the program. James sent me a message, and he said, please ask Dr. Lott how red flag laws don't violate the due process, due process uh, clause of the Constitution. It's one question he says he's had. Uh, since they started being talked about? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a common uh, concern that people raise. Look, uh, the way red flag laws work uh, in most states is that uh, somebody makes a complaint, a judge, all they see is the complaint in front of them, the written complaint. The judge doesn't talk to the person who the complaint is made against. They don't talk to the person who made the complaint. Uh, solely based on that piece of paper, the judge makes a decision whether or not to order the police to go and take away the person's guns. And then, you know, maybe two weeks or a month later, depending upon the state, uh, then there's a hearing. But even then, you know, just to compare it to civil commitment type laws, uh, in a civil commitment type law, uh, somebody will make a complaint to the police, the police will come out and investigate. If the police think that, that there's a reasonable chance that the person is a danger to themselves or others, which is basically about a 20% chance, uh, they will take the person in for a mental health care evaluation. Uh, there'll be two or three mental health care experts that will immediately examine the person. There can be a 24 to 72 hour hold. But then if the mental health care experts agree that the person is a danger to themselves or other with a reasonable chance again, there's an immediate hearing. 
if somebody can't afford uh, a lawyer, uh, and these hearings uh, generally can be, you know, $10,000 or so cost, uh, one is uh, provided for you. And then the witnesses, the person who's making the complaint, uh, will make their statement and, and it'll be able to be cross-examined. The judge can go and ask questions. Uh, and that, but, and the, if the judge decides that it's likely that the person is a danger to themselves or others, the judge has a whole range of options that are there. They can go and, uh, and say, look, if you agree to voluntary outpatient commit treatment, uh, we'll have you back in a week or two to reevaluate the situation. Or they could take away the person's driver's license, or they could take away the person's guns, or in the most extreme, or many other things, or in the most extreme case, uh, they can go and involuntarily commit the person. The thing is, with red flag laws, not only don't you have a hearing, uh, but then when you eventually do have a hearing, uh, states don't provide legal counsel if you can't afford it. Uh, again, you're talking about something that could be $10,000 or so. And if the only thing that can happen to you under a red flag law case is you lose your guns, you may want to keep your guns, Gary, but are you willing to pay $10,000, uh, to go and provide legal counsel for yourself for that? You, you may really want to keep them a lot, but most people, the vast majority of people in that situation, uh, don't hire a lawyer because, you know, they want to keep their guns, but it's not worth $10,000 to them to fight their guns being temporarily taken away from them. And so my big complaint about red flag laws is simply they're virtually always used for concerns about suicide. If you really believe somebody is suicidal, simply taking away their guns is not a serious solution. There's so many other ways that people can commit suicide that are just as lethal, just as likely to quote unquote succeed uh, from hanging yourself to jumping off a bridge to other things. That, you know, it simply doesn't make sense to only take away that person's guns. The gun control people want to convince you that just taking away people's guns is the be all and end all in terms of solutions. All right, now you've you've raised a bunch of questions in my mind. I don't know, maybe the guys have some too, uh, and I'll feed it the you know around the table here. But uh, do you have any statistics on countries where they have gun control laws and suicide? Uh, whether there is a per capita uh, increase in suicides in America versus those other countries with gun control laws? Well, what I generally like to do is to look across many places over time simply cross-sectional data I don't think is particularly useful on that. But what you find is that whether it's places like Washington, D.C. and Chicago that have banned uh, handguns or other countries that have banned handguns or all guns, uh, you don't see any changes in total suicides when uh, you have those types of bans in effect. Uh, there's some evidence of changes in firearm suicides. But to me, uh, the important thing is to go and look at total suicides. And what you see is that people simply switch to the, the extent there is an effect. They switch to other forms of uh, committing suicide. 
So it, it, so that's a canard that the, the uh, gun control people have been promoting. Uh, and I've heard them uh, repeatedly say uh, access to guns uh, leads to an increase in suicide. But I think it only would lead to an increase in suicide with guns. Uh, that people will still jump in front of a moving truck if that's what it takes. Right. Uh, look, <clears throat> I've testified so far this year in a number of states that are considering uh, adopting red flag laws. Uh, obviously, the Congress this last year uh, and the president signed a bill uh, that provides funding for states that go and adopt or strengthen their red flag laws. Uh, and, uh, you know, so they've had incentive to do it. And one of the things that gets brought up all the time is the claim of success rates with suicides. They'll say, uh, you know, the success rate for trying to commit suicide with a gun is uh, 90%, uh, and that's much higher than the average for everything else combined problem is is that's very dishonest uh because you're lumping together things like taking sleeping pills which has a very low success rate i mean you may be talking about six percent or so but it's mainly because the vast majority of people who say they are taking suicide or sleeping pills to commit suicide may take five or six sleeping pills now is that smart no that's not smart but it's unlikely to go and kill you uh, it's more a call for help usually that's there. Uh, but if you look at things like hanging oneself, you may find a 95% success rate uh, for doing that. Uh, jumping in front of a train or a bus uh, may be a, about a 95, 96% uh, success rate in terms of suicide. Jumping from a high building or a bridge uh, has a very high similar success rate. Uh, for doing it. And so <clears throat> there's so many, and there are other ways. Uh, hanging oneself uh, also has about a 96% success rate in terms of suicide. So, you know, there are lots of ways that people go and commit suicide. I mean, go and ask Jeffrey Epstein whether there's other ways uh, to go and commit suicide. But it's just. I'm not sure uh, he knows about that, though. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Garson, what? I'm not sure Jeffrey Epstein actually knows anything about suicide, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the assertion is that he may have been murdered. All right. Uh, two state Supreme Court cases uh, where the law in New York was declared unconstitutional uh, can be found online. How is it that this law stands in New York? Well, these are lower court, district court decisions. And uh, they are made their decisions along the due process line that was brought up before. Uh, the problem is uh, the state uh, is smart enough not to appeal those decisions. So they apply to that one judge in those two areas. Uh, but unless you go and you get some appeals court decision to make, you know, to say that the law is unconstitutional, uh, you know, it continues to be in effect. And so it's a strategic decision on the part of the state or local prosecutors not to appeal those decisions to higher courts. Red flag laws, the cases in New York up by over a thousand percent last year. And the local law enforcement are overwhelmed with the number of guns they've got to hang on to. Unbelievable. 
The research can be found at crimeresearch.org. Dr. John Lott, thank you for being with us this morning. Well, great talking to you. Take care. All right. Take care. All right, quick break. We're going to be back to wrap it up. We'll go over the firearms that Garson brought in from Graf's and uh, talk about a couple other topics if we have time, including concealed carry items. I'm Gary Ungod. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, going around the table, we have uh, Chuck Basie on board, uh, former state representative. We've got uh, Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com, and Garson is, of course, in from Graf's. Garson brought in a rifle and several handguns. I mean, these are really neat. They're available at Graf's. Uh, you can uh, call the store right away if you want these. Uh, but very quickly, if you would, Garson, go through those firearms for us. Uh, we got the Springfield Pod- Prodigy, uh, four and a quarter inch, uh, with the uh, red dot uh, dragonfly optic. The Canic uh, Medi SFX Pro, which has got an amazing trigger on it. And the beautiful Rossi R92 with the brass accents. God, I love that rifle. That is just pretty. All right, uh, there is a, uh, <clears throat> an article that I was reading, Bud Thomas wrote, about uh, concealed carry, uh, what to consider. And I never thought about this, and, I, and I'm, I've read this thing, and I still don't think it makes sense. But here's what he, he said. Uh, the clip that holds your holster to your belt. Uh, he said that, uh, you know, you have the, the plastic or the metal, and he changes it depending on the season. If it's summer, he goes to plastic. If it's winter, he goes to, to uh, metal. And he says that uh, the metal clip, apparently, somehow, uh, when he's getting in and out of his truck, uh, abrades the paint on the truck. I mean, this is, I've never heard of this. Do any of you guys here at the table ever consider changing the plastic to metal or vice versa on your clip uh, on a regular basis? Boy, my ex-wife thought I was high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I certainly don't. I, I would assume that he has to change to a different holster that has the different clip, but I I don't do that. The, the biggest problem I have with concealed carry is that the butt of my pistol has worn a hole in my seat. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't have any problems with the scratching of paint or or other damage to my car. Or myself, or or whatnot, it, um, based on the season or not based on the season. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard of this, uh, Chuck. He says, depending on the season, I'll usually switch between metal and plastic holster clips. As soon as the weather starts to become warmer, uh, I'll start using large single plastic holster clip instead of my metal options. Uh, the biggest issue with the metal holster clips is the fact that they can do significant damage to your vehicle door frame. Over the years, I've left several scratches and dings on my truck from brushing up against the door while getting uh, uh, in, causing a nice scratch to develop. Has that ever happened to you? No, no. I think the guy probably needs to be a little more careful. Or lose some weight. Yeah. Or something, yeah. Get a lower lift kit for his truck. Yeah, if you need Vaseline to fit through the door, maybe the metal clip is not the problem. Yeah. He does go on to make a point about having the right belt. Um using the right belt makes it much easier to conceal carry, to pull the weapon out of the uh, the uh, holster. Uh, and uh, I, I will never go back to a leather belt again uh, because I, I uh, found a guy right here in town that makes a great belt. Uh, 
Do you guys have special gun belts? Don't you advertise it on your website? That, what? That belt? Uh, the superbelt.com? Yeah. No, I can't advertise the oh, superbelt.com. I thought, I thought you, <laughs> you did. Um, uh, anyway, I'm thinking of something else, maybe. Yeah, well, it, it, I would uh, put up the superbelt.com, but I, I, you know, I'd, I think I'd have to charge him for that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It is a super belt. I mean, it, it, I, I was intrigued when I found him uh, literally able to tow a truck with the belt. Uh, it didn't stretch. It didn't rip. It didn't snap. Um, and if you've got a gun in, uh, in a holster and you're clipping it to your belt and it's leather, it abrades. Uh, they, they stretch. Uh, you want to get the right belt. So if you're concealed carrying... Yeah, uh, and, the, and the belt is probably actually more important than the holster. You think so? Yes, um, very much so. In fact, I, you know, even, so there are leather belts out there that you that are made for concealed carry. Uh, they're definitely going to be stiffer and thicker than some of the synthetic belts um, or nylon or or whatever. I think the the super belt's a a, a plastic nylon composite, which is pretty pretty uh, effective. But yeah, the belt the belt is probably twice as important as the holster. Yeah, what I like is it doesn't curl, stretch, rip. I mean, I've had it now for a couple of years, yeah, and, and and that's what you need because <clears throat> any any failure of the belt um, translates to um, poor well, carry failure con- of the draw. Yeah, poor, poor poor carry condition of the gun, but also it, it it contributes to the discomfort of wearing the gun, which leads a lot of people to stop carrying. Um, that and if you try and carry with non-gun belts, you're going to go through a lot of belts. It's just going to chew through them. So you're better off just anteing up at the get-go and getting two or three good carry belts at the onset. I mean, I've got carry belts that are 10 years old now, and they're they're still running strong. Same here. Yeah, um, very heavy leather belts. I think that Ross leather maybe that I bought 10 or 15 years ago, but. Well, I, I'm just telling you, go to the superbelt.com, have them custom make a belt for you. Uh, you'll love it. Don't forget, if you're carrying uh, to change your ammo, don't use the practice ammo. Use the social ammo. Guys, thanks for being in with us today. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.